knew that you'd come. I love you for coming. Officer Tom, this is my dad. This is Walter. Okay. He bailed me out. They gave me one phone call. They gave me one phone call. I said, I know who I'm going to call. Walter Hobbs. Sure enough, you showed up. You did. They said you weren't going to show up. They told me so many times. Well, good morning. Hey, how's your Thanksgiving weekend been so far? Good? Did you have a good one? So. Welcome, middle schoolers. We've got the middle schoolers over here. So was your Thanksgiving weekend good so far? Do you know what I did yesterday? I ran 13 miles in a half marathon. So if I'm just kind of... Yeah, thank you. And I'm a little sore, so if I'm kind of like this at some point, you know my legs are giving out. Hey, can you believe the holiday season's here already? And just all the, the movies starting like Elf... And I heard this past week, before Thursday, one of our staff members had already watched Elf twice. So ask in the back around the sound booth, and you'll find out who that person is after the service. How many of you are It's a Wonderful Life fans? You got a few? I never watched so many of the movies, but I, I was a fan of the TV shows, like Frosty the Snowman. But my very favorite, okay, Frosty the Snowman. But my very favorite as a child was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I, every year I watched it faithfully up until about the eighth grade. So I never missed it. And one of my favorite characters was Hermie the Elf. Now, Hermie was this type of guy. He was an elf that was about building toys, but he just really didn't enjoy building toys because he wanted to be a dentist. So those were fun. But there was one movie that I just really did not enjoy watching, and it was The Little Match Girl. It was a very uh, old story of a little girl. Have you ever seen The Match Girl, Little Match Girl? If you haven't, don't watch it this holiday season because it is one of the saddest, most depressing movies you'll ever see for the holidays, so don't watch it. It's that time of year, and there's something about this time of year and with the stories, the storylines that, that somehow either bring up those childhood memories that, that we're fond of? Or there's something about this time of year and these stories that just remind us of the goodness of people? That there's, there's something about people reaching out and showing kindness to other people? Or maybe there's this element of fantasy or that we can escape from the reality of life. As we watch these mo- movies, there's almost a magical element that somehow in those moments... The loneliness or the pain or the confusion that we're experiencing just melt away. This time of year is the time of year for stories. And there's one story that we can go back to over and over. A story that brings joy and goodness. A story that is based in reality. The reality that life and its hardship is faced head on with the power of God. It's this time of year that we are reminded of the story that God is with us. This is the second week in our Christmas series entitled, Why Christmas? And today we're going to look at God's intention toward us and the action that he took to be with us. But before we do that, let's pray together. God, we welcome you here. And Holy Spirit, we say yes to the truth that you have for us today. The truth that will encourage us and challenge us. God, just challenge us today to live out of our true identity and purpose. 
And because you're here with us, we can walk out that identity that you've placed in us. Just open our hearts and minds to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So understand God's intention for us. Let's look at a story in a garden. And we learn about this garden in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. God created man and woman and placed them in a plush garden to live in. There were beautiful fruit trees and there was a, a, a river that was clear and clean that, that flowed into the garden and just refreshed it, watered it. And the man and woman were free to enjoy the garden, every bit of it, to eat from any tree. There was this sense of innocence and peacefulness in this, this garden. There was no crying. There was no pain. And what was in this garden was pure love. There was open and honest communication. You see, Adam and Eve lived with a clear sense of identity and purpose. What do I mean by that? Well, first, their identity. They were created in the image of God. They had the capacity to think, create, communicate, relate in ways that were safe, open, and honest. You see, Adam and Eve resembled and reflected God on earth. So they not only had this identity, but they had purpose. They were to have lots of children and fill the earth. They were to care for creation, rule over the animals, the fish, the birds, and every living thing. Adam even got to name the animals. That's a dog. Squirrel. Aardvark. What fun to be able to, to interact in such peacefulness and innocence. And the relationship that Adam and Eve enjoyed with God was incredible. I mean, seriously, can you think that God, about God who actually walks in the garden with you in a relationship? That God comes into the garden expecting just to be with you. To have a conversation where there's no fear. Where there's peace. Where there's happy laughter. There's no guilt. No embarrassment. Just a safe place to be with a creator who loves you. And me. You see, that intention that God had for Adam and Eve was God's intention for all of humanity. But it changed. Adam and Eve disobeyed the one thing that Lord God told them not to do. And in their disobedience, sin entered the world. Sin, this deadly affection that just affected everything. Everything in creation. And this infection was unleashed. Infections like guilt and shame and embarrassment. Insecurity now became part of human relationships. The man and woman looked at themselves differently. They looked at each other differently and they looked at God differently. And the relationship that they had enjoyed with God was distorted and destroyed. Let's read Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So God shows up for his daily walk with Adam and Eve, and he says, where are you? You see, at this point, God is, is coming and just wanting an answer from Adam. 
He wanted Adam to recognize the extent of what had just happened, the broken relationship that had just happened. And over this question, where are you? Bible scholars are divided. Some believe that at this point, God was still seeking that intimate relationship with the man and woman, that relationship that he had always enjoyed. And others are saying, no, at this point, God is coming into the garden as if an angry parent is coming into a room to punish a child. But did you notice that Adam and Eve, as we read that verse, heard the sound of the Lord God differently? There was something about that statement for them. There was something about that experience that was different. You see, they heard the sound of God's voice, of God's footsteps differently through ears, hearts, and minds that were poisoned by guilt and fear. God asked the question, where are you? He really wanted Adam to recognize, oh God, I I did this. I'm, I'm sorry. But instead, Adam blames his wife. And then he goes from blame to this self-focus. Well, God, I was afraid. I heard you and, and I, well, I had to hide. You see, it's clear at this point for Adam and Eve, who had always focused on this relationship with God, that was the primary purpose for them. That was their identity of relating to the one who they reflected the image of. But now it was different. They went from adoring God and focusing on Him to a place of focus on I. I am the victim. I am inadequate. I am scared. And so here they are, afraid of God. And what does God do? It says God that stayed in the garden with them. He was there with them at this moment. He didn't leave them. He didn't walk off. Yes, he did spell out the consequences of what had happened, and they were very severe. The choices they had made severed everything. But did you notice that God was still personally there? And if you were to read on in Genesis, it says that God clothed them. God did it with his hands. And God also spoke these words to Satan, the fallen angel who used a snake to tempt Eve. He said, you and this woman will hate each other. Your descendants and hers will always be enemies. One of hers will strike you on the head, and you will strike him on the heel. And God is saying, I am not going away, Satan. I am going to destroy you and your works, so you watch how I'm going to do this. And Adam and Eve are evicted from the garden. And this infection of sin spreads throughout the world, affecting everything, every person. Now separated, no longer close. Humanity chooses against God while God continues to pursue humanity. And as you read throughout the Old Testament, story after story, the idea of God being prominent with his people, it's there. It's there with Bible characters like Isaac, who wrestled 
with a lot of stuff in life. He was there with Joseph, who was falsely accused and imprisoned. But God was there. He was there even with a people of Israel as they were in the desert, wandering around, trying to find this place of safety and peace. And God says, hey, I want to be your God. I want to be with you. And basically the people say, no thanks. They choose no while God continues to pursue. See, people say no while God pursues. And he will pursue us as we face those harsh realities of life. Years and years removed from the garden experience. The invitation to be with God and for God to be with this king was extended again to a king named Ahaz. And Ahaz was the king of a nation called Judah. And Ahaz was facing this very intense international political situation. That he was facing a situation where there were two armies that were ready to invade. So there was this threat of war. And he is, he's here thinking, okay, I could call in my friends the Assyrians because they're a very powerful army. And so he's, he's thinking through how is he going to handle this, and he's afraid, and the people of Judah are afraid. And God sends his spokesman, Isaiah, to say, hey, don't worry about it. God has the whole situation under control. And to prove that he is in charge, Ahaz, God wants you to ask for anything from him. Anything. Just ask. Ahaz basically says, no thanks. God gives this invitation to him, and he says, no thanks, because in his mind, he's going with the Assyrians. And so he gives some answers like, well, okay, Isaiah, yeah. No, I can't, I can't ask that of God. And Isaiah says, what are you doing, Ahaz? You don't want God's help in this? You don't want proof that God is at work here? Well, tough, because there's going to be proof anyway, because God's going to give you a sign. And the sign that God is going to give to Ahaz actually has double meaning. Let's see what that sign is from Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. A sign, one sign that has double significance. The first meaning is that Ahaz would know without a shadow of a doubt that God is with him through this sign, is that a young woman, a virgin, that is well known to Ahaz, would have a child. She would become pregnant and have a child, and the child would be named God with us. And that child, every time Ahaz would would see this child on the street, it would be a reminder that God is with him. It will be a reminder every day that God had promised to walk with him through this harsh reality that he was facing. And for three years, as he watched this child grow up, he would would be thinking about those words. While in the back of his mind, he's looking at Assyria. Ahaz said, no thanks, even as he watched the sign. And eventually, Assyria came in and invaded Judah. That was the first meaning. But the second meaning is that God is giving us a clue about what is coming ahead. God is giving us a clue to the strategy that he's going to use to defeat Satan. 
Remember in chapter 3? That God is giving this meaning of a child that is coming. He's giving away part of the story. That from centuries from now, a young virgin girl named Mary will become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And people will totally misunderstand. They'll totally misunderstand and accuse her. They will gossip about her. They'll misunderstand because they only know of one way to become pregnant. And Mary's denying that that's the way she became pregnant. She will face gossip and anger. And her husband-to-be, Joseph, will face criticism and embarrassment for his decision. See, Mary was engaged to Joseph. And in the engagement process in the nation of Israel, it was like a year of, there's an engagement that happens. And then there is a betrothal period where we're definitely committed to this. And at any time during that second phase of the relationship, prior to the, the wedding ceremony, that person that is engaged or betrothed is actually married. And so Joseph is facing this decision that if I go ahead and, and divorce her, I could divorce her quietly, and that would help save her reputation. But he could have actually taken her to the, the public square and said, I want a divorce, and here's what she did. And in so doing that, could have been stirred up a riot where Mary could have been executed. And so he's facing this choice. Do I bear this, this embarrassment? Do I wrestle through the toughness of this? See, God is telling the world that in the harsh reality of life and all the tough decisions and all the misunderstanding and pain, he will be with us. He will be the one with us in person. And how do we know this? Let's read Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The time of Ahaz. Fast forward through the centuries to when the, ch the child and Matthew chapter 1 is born. He's Jesus Christ. The one who is totally God and totally human. Totally man, right here on earth. Jesus Christ. Here on earth with the people who will raise him. Mary and Joseph. The parents he will run to. Walk side by side with. The parents who will hold his hand. The earthly dad who will work with him. Mary and Joseph. What a contrast to Adam and Eve. Yes, they were infected with this same sin germ as all humanity is. But they didn't hide from God's presence. They welcomed the fact that God was with them. They accepted the identity that God Gave them. See, God made the statement that he was very, very pleased with Mary. And speaking to Joseph the way he did, affirmed to Joseph that God is, is in this work. See, they accepted the purpose that God had set out for them, to be the parents of Jesus. And because they welcomed the friendship with God, 
Something happened in their relationship as a couple. You see, they, they could have been at each other's throats with suspicion and blame and bitterness and hurt. But they understood their identity and purpose before God. And even in the harsh reality of what they were facing, they pressed through it. And then there's Jesus. His birth declares the presence of God with his people in a way that's altogether new. His birth announces to humanity that heaven is invading earth and that the access that Satan had in the garden has been destroyed. See, Jesus will walk the dusty streets and talk with his friends. And he'll tell great stories. He'll heal the sick. He'll cast out demons. He'll go to weddings. He'll disrupt funerals. He'll make the religious leaders mad. He'll hang out with tax collectors and prostitutes. And he'll hold children in his arms while other people are saying, get them out of here. See, this Jesus will feel the betrayal of a friend. Will be falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit. Will go through a hasty trial and be sentenced to death on a Roman cross. He will undergo the trauma of a beating. He will experience the agony of separation from his Father in heaven because Jesus absorbs and actually becomes sin on that cross. His blood will be spilled on the ground, but it will not spill without purpose because his blood will be the antidote that will free us, you and me, from the infection of sin. Jesus will die, will resurrect, and say goodbye to his friends. But in the course of all this action, Jesus promises us not to leave us alone forever. He will send the Holy Spirit to live inside us, to teach us all things about Jesus, so we can reflect Jesus, so that we can show the world that we are made in his image. Holy Spirit to live inside every man and woman, boy and girl who believe that Jesus died to free us from sin and to restore our original identity and purpose. And from the days of, we read in the, the New Testament book of Acts, throughout church history in the past up until today and into tomorrow, when we reach the total fulfillment of our lives. Let's briefly look at a picture that shows us what that scene will be when the total fulfillment of our lives takes place. And for this, this picture, I'd like for us to take a look at the book of Revelation. Now, as soon as I said the book of Revelation, which is a book in the New Testament, it solicited, my hunch is, it solicits a number of different responses. One is like, ooh, that book, Revelation, that scares me. And others is like, hmm, book of Revelation, that's a very curious book. I'd like to learn more about it. Others, it's like, yeah, that's the book that's worth studying and, and understanding because when we do that, we'll really know what God is up to. I like what Rich Nathan's reaction is to the book of Revelation. Rich is a pastor of the Vineyard Church in Columbus. In a message he did some years ago, he, he said this, Revelation is not just information about our lives, our world, or our future. 
but rather the content of the book of Revelation is Jesus Christ himself. He is not just the source of that revelation. He is the content of that revelation. He goes on to say that the book of Revelation is like entering an art museum or an art gallery where there are different rooms in the art museum. We find rooms that are dedicated in one section to uh, wild scenes of judgment. Another room in this gallery in the book of Revelation is dedicated to corrupt government. And then you go into this room and there's a room dedicated to all the portraits of Christ. In this room, the portraits of Christ, we see these beautiful symbolic paintings of Jesus. See, Revelation is not a book written to satisfy our curiosity about the future. It is meant to satisfy our need for a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. So for a moment, I encourage you to set aside your personal opinion of that book And consider approaching what I'm about to read as if you were in an art museum or a portrait studio. And if it would help, just close your eyes while I read these verses. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no mourning or crying or pain. So just for a moment, continue to have your eyes closed. What do you see in that picture about Jesus? What do you see in that picture about Jesus, specifically how it relates to your life? How does this picture speak to your relationships with your family or your friends or people at school? How does this portrait touch your loneliness, your sadness? So, Lord, as we're sitting here just with our eyes closed, focusing on you, say thank you that you're with us. Holy Spirit, just continue to touch our lives. Open our eyes and hearts to see clearly the work you want to do. Just come heal us today. And as we worship as we sing praises to you, God, just stand next to us and comfort our hearts and stir your joy and encouragement. Come and speak fresh purpose. Come and speak again who we are in you. In Jesus' name. I'd like to invite the worship band to come out at this point. God is here with us. And as we worship, just we'll all stand if you're able, and we'll, we'll sing. But if there's a point that you just want to sit down and just be quiet before God, feel free to do that. 
You're also welcome to come up to the front if it helps you to focus more on, on God. Uh, if you're new with us, you will see during our services people coming up front to worship. And again, it's a way for them just to focus. But let's stand together and praise the God who is with us. Thank you.